as a, a pastor, you have so much text to cover in a short amount of time. Because really, the time leading towards the resurrection, there are so many things that happen. I mean, there's a triumphal entry, right? There's a supper that happens. There is a garden experience. There is a betrayal. There is a, a, a whole judge and jury at the wrong time, at the wrong place. There is a scourging. There is a crucifixion. There is a timeline of quiet and hiding. There is a, a tomb that is sealed and guarded. There is a tomb that is opened wide. There are so many things we can talk about when it comes to Easter. And I, I, I take it very seriously every year that we get to this time of what do we talk about and what do we think about and how do we prepare our hearts as we get closer to Easter Sunday because what happens each Sunday leading towards Easter is important. We, we need to start preparing our hearts for that remembrance of not a death that was had but a life that was renewed by rising from death. So because of that, today I want to go through with you four weeks, if you will, the final being Easter Sunday on April 1st. But today I want to start about talking about without Easter. Without Easter, what do we do? Without Easter, what happens? And what happens when we put Easter in its proper place? What does it teach us? Because it's more than just knowing something on a page. It's an action that happens when we start to experience Easter the right way. I believe there's a lot of people that know the Easter story. They just don't know what to do with it. There's a lot of people that know everything about this from childhood. Maybe they grew up in church, but have never done anything with Easter the whole time. And so they're left at the end of their lives going, I knew the story, I just didn't know what to do with it. So today, we're going to talk about without Easter, what would we know or how would we know about service? And so in John chapter 13 today, in the first verse, we kind of encounter a moment, if you will, where Jesus is spending time with the disciples. They're, they're enjoying the Passover festival, and this is where our story picks up. You can just imagine, if, if we're going to lay down this scripture the right way, what's really about to happen. We're kind of in this Greco-Roman era of Israel. And so a lot of the practices that they do now has a lot of a mixture of Roman kind of influence. And so there's this fight, if you will, between a Roman group and an Israeli group that had two different belief systems. And now a Jesus shows up on the scene and he's breaking both up. He's right down the middle and saying, y'all are both wrong. Let me show you where we can change the story. And so Jesus, when he shows up on the scene, he never does anything conventional. I, I think that a lot of times we believe that Jesus was really subtle. And he was anything but subtle. He was very much a, a non-traditionalist, if you will. He was somebody that would open the scrolls that had been opened a hundred times before and then share with them something they've never heard before. He's the same guy that would show up on the scene and say, y'all are making this really religious when this should be really devotion. Y'all are missing everything about this. Y'all look one way, but in, 
In fact, inside, you're missing the point. Let's not just hear the Easter story this year. Let's be changed by it this year. And so we get to this Passover feast in John 13. It says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. I just want to stop there in our reading for a second and just kind of, you know, maybe pause our, our thoughts just of the, the vastness and the deepness of this part in Scripture. It's at this point in chapter 13, verse 1, that Jesus, it says, knew that his hour on earth was about to come to depart. This is a huge moment in Scripture. Because at this point, Jesus is really setting the stage. From this point on, he knows the time has started to click. And so it begins. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, which I think is powerful as well. We'll come back to it. Now, by the time of supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from the supper, laid aside his robe, took on a towel, tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but afterward, you'll know. You will never wash my feet. Ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You can just see Peter's mind clicking. So Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has been bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who who would betray him. And this is why he said, you are not all clean. Verse 12, when he, had fin- when he had washed their feet <clears throat> and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You have called me teacher and Lord, and that is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I've chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it happens, you will believe that I am he. I assure you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who sends me. I, I think this passage is, there's so much that we could spend time in just this particular moment with Jesus in. What he says in this short little passage of scripture is huge for the church. It is huge for the believer because what he's saying is more than just this moment with the disciples. He is sharing something that will last throughout history. He is breaking all the rules. So let me just show you what the rules would have looked like. No teacher of the law washes feet. They're above that. In Jesus' day, a teacher of the law would never have stooped to wash feet. In fact, if we're looking at the trueness of the time, no Israelite would have washed feet. 
This would have been someone outside of their faith completely. Somebody lower than they can imagine is the feet washer. You imagine how dirty of a job this must have been? I mean, Mike Rowe would have signed up to be around somebody with this job. It is nasty. I mean, we don't have any context for this other than believing this. If you have ever hosted a youth lock-in in your home and had the junior high boys, you get a glimpse of the stinkiness and nastiness of this moment. To imagine what would have happened as they prepared, we have to go back to the Old Testament. The priests would have had to ceremoniously wash themselves before entering the presence of God. They would have cleansed themselves and prepared themselves to be in His presence. We get this as a task they had to do, and if they did not do this, they would have not worshipped good. They would have what? Died. D-I-E died. They'd have died so much they'd have been dead. It, it is a duty that they had to complete, that they had to wash themselves, to be in God's presence. And it had nothing to do with hygiene. It had to do with the preparation of a heart. And so in this moment, I want you to know something that probably took place long before they even walked in to celebrate this Passover. They cleaned up because they're coming to celebrate God. They didn't do this. you got to remind yourself in context, Jesus was a Jew. Agreed? He kept the law. So did everyone else around him. We see that that's why they end up paying taxes. That's why they end up going to the synagogue. He was a good practicing man. He kept the law. And so we got to put this in context. These guys knew how to do this stuff. When they show up for the Passover feast, they cleanse themselves. They prepared. And so at this moment, Jesus stands up. Scholars can debate this for the rest of these days, and I promise you, if you go home today, you can find 18 different interpretations of when Jesus would have washed the feet of the disciples. But there's some absolute pauses in the Passover feast. If you've ever been to a Seder meal with us here on campus when Jews for Jesus come, you've heard of the pauses they would take in the festival. And so they pause in moments. And you can almost imagine the whole time, what is Jesus thinking of? The time is about to occur when he will no longer be here. And so he is going to prepare his men for the presence of God. And so he gets up and he does something that you did not do. He took out his outer garment and he wrapped a towel around himself. And the teacher became the lowest of lows for his men. But why? Why would he do this? Why? Would a Messiah, a teacher, the greatest that has ever been, astounding the greatest scholars in the temple as a child, why would he stoop so low? He could have done something else. Believe me, there is plenty of opportunities for Jesus to show service without washing feet. I, I don't know about you people in this room, we had this discussion upstairs. Some of y'all just don't do feet. 
You think of feet and you go, nope. You don't look at your own feet. But I just got to tell you, this is, this is a crummy job. And it's very, very intimate if you know the people involved. And in this moment, Jesus empties himself of himself. Who is Jesus? He is the son of, of God, the highest of highs, correct? I mean, Jesus is the king of and Lord of, and because of that, he is the greatest. He is the goat, the greatest of all time. He's the man. He doesn't have to stoop down to anyone, ever. And this man who knows that his time to leave the earth is about to come, which, by the way, he knows will be through death, is at a perfectly good meal to celebrate a perfectly good God and takes out a perfectly good outer garment to put on a slave's attire and washes the feet of his disciples. How many disciples' feet did he wash? All of them. But one guy pops out, and we'll talk about him in a second. But we need to start by saying this. Jesus' love comes with no end. Comes with no end. How do we know that? Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, is what the Scripture says. That is a powerful love. You know why that's powerful? Because they are a bunch of doubting, sinful dudes. Prone to think of themselves above others. Prone to doubt every step of the way. How many times did Jesus feed the multitude? Twice. The first time it happens, they're all astounded. The second time, they're all astounded. Second time he says, how much do we got? And they're like, I don't think we have enough. This is the second time, guys. He's done this before. Someone should be like, all I've got is Skittles and pocket lint. Jesus is like, let's make it happen. Because he could do it. Could Jesus feed the multitude with pocket lint? Yes. You know why? All God. All God in a man's flesh. So they're astounded all the time. They're astounded when he heals. Like, wow. Can you believe he did that? And Jesus is like, really, guys? I mean, you guys are reporters at this point. Like, you write this stuff down. You should know by now this can happen all the time. I mean, when Jesus goes up to the fig tree, remember this, and he curses it, and they walk away and they come back and it's withered, they're all like, oh, oh. He's like, dude, I walked on water. Come on, guys. I mean, these are the guys that he surrounded himself with. You, maybe you have these guys in your life that every step of the way they doubt. And you're like, really? Come on. Can you imagine how frustrating it must have been for Jesus to find these 12 that ultimately one would defect that he knew would defect? And he would give these 11 the charge to start the church and reach the world. 
I mean, these are the same guys that this night, he's, he's got that outer towel wrapped around him. And he doesn't wash their feet just because. He washes their feet because he desperately loves them. Maybe you need to hear this today. You are desperately loved by God. I, I just want you to know, it's not even based upon how bad you've been since you've come to know him. He loves you. I'm telling you, after you came to know Christ, you may have been so broken, so backslidden, so doubtful. Find yourself in one of the 11 today because that's them too. And what did it say in this passage Jesus did? Loved them. Because it's not conditional upon you. It's conditional upon him. And he's got more grace than you've got sin. Remember hearing that? He is big enough and strong enough to love you desperately. You are loved by God. The God that made the canyon desperately loves you. Yesterday, uh, April and I and a couple of the boys, we, we ran to the hockey game. And uh, we sat right behind the Down Syndrome group of Amarillo. And there's this moment where a song started. It was during a break. And one by one, the Down Syndrome kids stood up and started dancing. And I fell in love with that moment. I, I mean, honestly, I'm not the biggest hockey fan in the world. I'm a sports guy. But I just got to tell you, as, as crummy as Amarillo played last night, those kids made the night for me. Just watching them enjoy the moment. They just danced like no one cared. It just reminded me of something. We live our lives way too tame when we serve a God that loves us so much. We, we are just barely eking through this Christian walk. When we put God's love in context, it moves us to do something. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to prove this night. How desperately he loves these guys so much that he would become the very least in the room to show them how desperately he loves each of them. Did Jesus love Judas? Yes. Would you have? If you knew that Judas was going to stab you in the back, would you have loved him? That's where I stop in Scripture. I don't know about y'all. It would have been really hard for me if I was Jesus to, uh, to call the 12 and, and get to Judas when I was calling him and to look him in the eyes and go, this is the man. This is the man, but he doesn't even know it's, it's not his plan. It's my father's. Imagine how broken that moment was. To realize this, if it wouldn't have been Judas, it would have been somebody else. You know Why? Because the Father sent Jesus to die for our sins. He did not send Judas. He could have used anybody. He probably would have used a Kyle. I don't know about y'all, but how prone to wander I am when it comes to Jesus' love. In this passage, as Jesus takes out his otter robe, you've got to know these guys are, are chilling out, enjoying the Passover. They're remembering. They're devoted. This time is deep. And Jesus gets up from the table. 
I mean, this guy is the man, and at this point in Scripture, all the disciples kind of get this. So they all kind of go, what, what's, what's going on? And, and Jesus goes over to the basin, and he takes out his outer robe, and they're thinking, maybe this is something new that we all got to do. I mean, Jesus is doing it, and I'm, clearly we need to be doing it, right? So, and Jesus turns around with the basin, and, and all eyes are on Jesus, and he comes over to the first guy, and he, he stoops down, and he grabs his feet, and begins to wash them. And I can almost imagine as Jesus is washing the feet, he looks him in the eyes. And just gives him that Jesus smile. And just keeps washing feet and then goes to the next guy. And this is working really good. Until he comes to the loudmouth fisherman. He slides to him. And he grabs a seat. You just imagine... He goes to grab that foot, and that foot stays firm on the ground. He goes, hey, Jesus, man, you're not going to wash my feet. I mean, I don't know if you get this, Jesus, but you're about the best thing that's ever happened to me. Jesus goes, Simon, you don't get this right now, buddy, but I'm going to have to wash your feet. And if you don't want me to wash it, that's fine. You're going to have to get out of here. You have no part with me if I can't do this. And so Simon gives him something different. Simon elevates his place as a servant. He says to him, then wash all of me. Because see, that's not that dirty servant. That's an elevated servant. That's, that's a different role completely. This person would have been different than the feet washer. This person's the guy that hangs out in your home and knows you. It's a personal person. Like this guy that watches everything on a person is someone that has class and tout. They, they would have hung out in like a temple or a palace. And so Peter is going back in his rule book to go, Jesus, I, I'm great with you like giving us a cleansing, but you're not that kind of servant. You're a, this kind of servant. I mean, you're above me, buddy, so wash all of me. And Jesus just comes back with the same exact lesson. One who is bathed, Simon, doesn't need to wash anything except for his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean. And then he says some words. But not all of you. You see, at this point... The disciples had heard Jesus say a lot of stuff. And I want you to know this. We don't get all of what Jesus said in the scriptures. In fact, if we did, we probably wouldn't be able to carry the Bible in the room. It'd be so big. And I really believe this, that, that it would be so ununderstandable. And I want to put this in context. Jesus gave teachings all along the way to the disciples, to others, in conversation, sitting around eating. You can just imagine how much text we would have to understand. This is why not everything is in our Bible. Because we would get so lost in it, we would never get the truth. That's why we have our Bible the way it sits. This is transformational because what Jesus is doing is, he's giving an example, service and sacrifice. Jesus modeled for his followers. Service 
and sacrifice. Because it's not just the fact that he serves them by washing their feet. It's that he also sacrifices by lowering himself before these men. This is a practice we don't do in our society. If anything, we become like puffer fish in our society. We want everybody to think that we're bigger and badder than we are. That's why we told men in our society, don't cry. Because if your bros see you crying, they're going to be like, wimp. Right? That's why women have to constantly be stronger than everyone. Susie the Riveter everywhere they go. Because if you show that you're kind and compassionate, another woman's going to come along and be like, oh, she's, a, she's hurting womankind. You see what's happening to us? We're becoming exactly the opposite of what Jesus is trying to example today. What he's trying to say to us is this. You can be a man and a woman that's powerful, but you do this by becoming a servant that serves sacrificially. We have got to get to a place where we see others before ourselves and certainly where we put God before our thoughts. We cannot say we appreciate Easter. We cannot say that, that we appreciate Easter and not serve in response. Just can't do it. Can't say that you love Easter and then completely push God out of the story. And so later on, Jesus says this in verse 12, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, put on his robe and reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You know, their minds have to be thinking, well, you washed our feet. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, this is well said, for that's what I am. I'm your teacher and I'm your Lord. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And verse 15 says this, for I've given you an example you should also do just as I've done for you. And I want to stop by just saying this. Jesus is not asking the church to physically go wash everybody's feet. We would be missing the point completely. He's asking us to do much more than that. He's asking us to serve each other deeply at the cost of ourselves. And more than anything, he's given them an example of what he's ultimately about to do at the end of this week. He is ultimately going to pay the deepest sacrifice that anybody's ever played on the planet Earth. He is going to die for the sins of people that aren't born yet, that would never receive him. You always think about the cross, and I think how desperately I needed Jesus. And I just have to believe with all of my heart that because Jesus took on the sins of the world, he knew my sins, and he knew yours. But he also knew the sins of people that would never receive him. And he died to pave a path for them to the Father that they never took. I, I just kind of wonder if that's not a big piece of the cross's suffering, is knowing that he would pay the price of the sins of people that would never receive him as Savior and Lord. You know, one day, you and I, well, our life will end. We will take our last breath this side on earth, and we'll inhale that side of heaven. And on that day, we will 
stand before Jesus. And it's not about how great it's going to be for us there. I want you to hear this. Because it's not based upon how great you can be this side of heaven. It's about faith in Jesus. Can I just tell you, that side of heaven has got to be incredible for our Savior. Because every face that crosses over to that side and has an eternal faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and stands before Him, what a reward that is. My life will never be worthy of the cross in my eyes. Neither will yours. We'll go through our whole life saying that we're not worthy enough. Right? But God thought you were. God thought you were. God thought I was. God loved us so much that he sent not just anything but his very best, his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. That statement I pray you carry through this Easter season. May it cause you to serve others because you have a Savior who emptied himself completely. He could have been God-like the whole reign of his eternity, but he emptied himself completely and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Jesus taught us service so that Easter would remind us of something. Every Sunday is Easter. Every Sunday is Easter. It may be on your calendar coming up April 1st, but let me just tell you, this Sunday is your Easter. You know why? He died for me. Is this Sunday your Easter? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? If not, let this Sunday be your Easter. May you cross over from a life leading to death into a life leading to life. Yesterday, we stood in here and we were reminded of a sweet friend of ours that got to go to heaven before us. Cherie, she sat right there on the second row. And you know what? She had joy written all over her, but I remember the Sunday, and I think y'all do too. Del Moreland got up there in the baptismal, and he got to baptize her. Today she is in heaven with my Jesus. And until that day, I want a little bit of her joy in my life. I want to live with a smile on my face. And a hug ready to come to anybody that shows up. Jesus can change our lives. May this Sunday be your Easter. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? I'm not going to ask you to do anything special today. Ultimately, we always say the same thing. If you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you should come down and tell someone about it. But can I just encourage you to be bold today to do something else? Maybe today you know that you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you've wrestled this. Maybe you've been in this church for 40 plus years. 
Maybe you teach a class or you're a deacon or, you know, you're a minister, whatever it is. Maybe today you would say, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I want this Sunday to be my Easter. I want to come alive. From death of sin into life everlasting. If that's you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Just right where you are. Be bold. You need this to be your Easter. Kyle, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him as Savior and Lord. Just raise your hand. I'll see you. I promise you. Don't have to go very far. I, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. If we know him, we should be telling people about him. We should be taking his name and sharing it everywhere we go. Because Jesus laid the path for serving others. And if we know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we should want others to go with us. Let's ask that the Lord would speak over our hearts. Let's ask that he would change our lives. And today, may we be Easter people. Why don't you stand with us? Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, God, I pray that you would move in a mighty way today. God, that you'd speak of our hearts. God, that you would break away the chains of sin. And Father, God, that you would rule our lives. May we serve because Jesus richly and deeply served us. Father, may we live his example. In the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.